Welcome back. Yes, we're back in action. The breakdown podcast for this week. Last week it was Mills Muliaina. This week, Sir John Kerwin. So the stable of our Sunday show has come back together. JK, it's great to have you on. I'm going to take you down a tat. Well, we know what the year it is. It's the Rugby World Cup year. So essentially, all the discussions we have in the end lead towards what happens pre-Rugby World Cup and what the All Blacks are going to look like. I'm going to ask you this question straight off the bat. The Six Nations has delivered two clear teams out on top, France and Ireland. What is it we need to do when we meet those teams, which we will meet France in round one, we will possibly meet Ireland in the quarterfinal, could be South Africa. So if you think about those three teams as sides and what we need to prepare for, what is it we're going to need in our arsenal if we're going to go through not just to a quarterfinal, to a semifinal, and possibly go on to win. Um, hi, Jack. And um, take Sexton, Sexton completely out of the game, <laughs> so we just need to hijack him, kidnap him, because um, they're a different football team without him, right? So I think the most amazing thing I've seen, the, the Irish side transition... Um, from probably in the last 10 years was a traditional Six Nations side, some really good performances, pushed us pretty hard, to totally dominating world rugby through an organisation of attack and defence. I like the interesting thing for me is the attack is very, very different um, to what we know. So we have pods, as we know, three runners running in different areas and different sides of the fields, but they seem to have added a couple of um, different attack patterns to it. Some swing back with Sexton. The the I don't know if they're just incredibly well organised because they hang on to the ball for incredibly long periods of time. If you look at the first test last year, where we probably dominated them, and then we got dominated for the next couple of tests, what was the big difference? The actual big difference was that Ireland made mistakes. Un, un, sort of untraditional mistakes for them. So we're not used to that. We get really, really frustrated, and then guys will jump out of the defensive lines and we'll make some mistakes. So I think for me, the secret with Ireland is we need to know how to break them down. We also need to make sure that we have this incredible discipline around ball retention. And that's really hard when you play super rugby, and that's really hard when you're an all-black because we'd rather go for um, the opportunity than hang on to the ball, whereas the Irish hang on to it and recycle it. Um, France, is a, France is another kettle of fish. France has a totally different philosophy to attack than the rest of the world at the moment, I believe. And they've got a combination of forwards and backs that can play that game. So it's very much that... Um, you know, run at the hole, not the man, you know, those little offloads. I think they've got a big enough forward pack to, to not be dominated up there. And then they've got the world's best halfback and a back line that can bring that French flair. It's the first time I've seen both those countries, both Ireland playing a style of game that is unique to them and France playing the balance of that, right? I mean, the game against England, you know, you've played France when they've, when they've kicked your ass. I've played them when they've kicked my ass. And some days you just don't know what to do. You don't know where they are. 
And so if they can get that combination, and that's not an emotional day, that is actually becoming the norm. Um, I think we go into the World Cup as third or fourth favourites for the first time in probably the history of the tournament. Yeah, look, I see them slightly different in terms of favouritism because, one, we've had players who have tasted success before and they know what it's going to take. Um, The question mark I have is whether or not we've advanced our game enough probably in the last 12 months post-COVID because COVID created a significant challenge for everyone. And, And when we came out of that, I don't know, I'm not sure we knew of our identity I'm still not sure we've got the adaptability as we go into this Rugby World Cup to take on exactly what you talked about. You're 100% right. Ireland have got an incredible structure and the ability to hold on to the ball and they attack you in areas that put you under pressure. And if you're not disciplined, they punish you. France, on the other hand, like you say, has a great variety to their game and they've got a consistency that I don't remember them having. The fact they don't look as though they are a team you can easily get on top of and then they lose their way. They manage to find their way back. And, and when you've got key leadership, particularly at halfback and Antoine Dupont, they've got something that I think Ireland have got as well in Jonathan Sexton. They've got a guy who who's, who controls the way that they play the game. And then you've got South Africa, who, who I think understand completely what they are and who they are and the way they need to play in Rugby World Cups. Their formula doesn't change. The question I have then, JK, is that when I look at the All Blacks, is that have we over the last 12 months, where we got to, with with 10 minutes to go, say, last year against England, who have shown that maybe they weren't or aren't as strong as we maybe, maybe thought. We don't know about what's happened with them. But if you think about the All Blacks, you go, did we show the signs to have some adaptability when we have to play France in the first game and then we get to a quarterfinal and then the game, if we play South Africa, they don't play like France. Um, they don't play like Ireland, um, you know. So, so you look at those three teams, and I think to me those are our, our very real threats that we have to look at and go. You know what? Those are the three teams to me that I believe are in the competition. I have us right there, but I think we've still got a little bit to do, and we've got five tests, and then the round round robin play. But I'm not sure we can get a lot out of that, J.K. So, when you look at our squad, here's the other thing: if you look at our squad. The 30 names already picked themselves, and we've got what we've got. Well, let's go back to your first question. I would rather lose the first game and have South Africa. Um, That's what happened in the last World Cup. We beat South Africa um, in Tokyo, and then they went on to win it. Um, You know, I think to beat beat France and Ireland is a big call in those – in that situation, you know, we're talking about a one-off tournament. Everyone talks about, you know, I remember Richie McCaw mentioning going to Everest sort of four times, you know. You got your one-round Robin game and then, you know, qualifying semifinals and finals. So I think that's going to be a tough ask for us. I think there's one thing that France are doing and Ireland are doing better than us that we need to consider. We would not have played the same test side for the last four years, week in, week out, Right, um, and I just think this year we need to a little bit be a little bit selfish and go. This is my team. Here's someone who's going to come in if they're injured and just play it. You know, you you name me the last time we had a twelve thirteen combination out there for four weeks in a row. You know, and so I think those things are really really important when you come down to a one off tournament that is actually 
about understanding how you're going to deal with that pressure. And if you can deal with that pressure, for me, it's actually knowing that that 50-50 pass turns into a 90-10 pass because I know that I'm Anton Leonard Brown and I've got, you know, um, Rico Ioane outside me. But Rico has been the only consistency at at 13 and who's been at 12? Like 10 different people. So then the guys who have put up their hand, though, if, if I was to go, okay, well, Geordie Barrett last year clearly showed the skill set that we're looking for at 12, right? I mean, and that would be the sense that I would go down. That's the, the selection that I would pick at 12 for the All Blacks, given physicality. And um, you've got a David Harvelli, you've got a, um, an Anton Leonard Brown that can play in that position. I don't think there's a clear other selection at centre, but but once again, that do you think the DNA, and you, you mentioned that, oh, we lose to... But if you lose to France, you still don't know whether it's South Africa or Ireland because there's an assumption that Ireland would beat South Africa. If we beat France and then, you know, Ireland beats South Africa, we get South Africa. So because of that unknown, I'm, I'm a bit against... I'd rather beat France in the first game because I think our, our belief would, would skyrocket. And I think that's really important. Yeah, look, I, don't, I, don't dis- I actually don't disagree with that, mate. And I think that um, where this current team is at from a confidence point of view, I think losing would not be a good thing. So I totally agree with that. But if we were going to say my, my statement was sort of, would I rather find South Africa or <laughs> France? You know, I'd probably rather have South Africa because I know we can beat them, right? But I keep coming back to this combination discussion, yeah. right? So you think about... 2011, you know, um, Conrad Smith, Ma'anonu, you know, like they go through to 2015, play the majority of the test matches. And I'm only picking the only combination that we've had consistency around is Whitelock and Retallick, right? Um, When they're both out there together, they they dominate. So for me, it's just actually when we go and meet France, they don't swap their team. You know what their team's going to be unless someone's injured. If you go and look at Ireland, unless they're going to drop, you know, drop half the team to play Italy because they know they're going to win, um, you know, they are going. That they are settled as a test side. But if I said to you, "Who's our number six? What would you say? Well, but I would say it depends on who we're playing. Yeah, you see, well, I don't agree with that anymore. In World Cup, yeah, I don't agree with that. I think you've got to play combinations because what I'm saying is if you said to me, um, Havili, um, Geordie Barrett at 12 or Anton Leonard Brown, to be fair, I think they're all brilliant players. Yeah. But for me, it's who's the combination with Rico and under pressure, you know, you know what it's like, mate. Under yeah. pressure, you yeah. know that guy's there. You just know he's there. You just, you're under pressure and you can trust them. You can trust them. Because you've played with them fifty times, we don't have those combinations yet. It's a it's a lovely thing to have, right? Yeah. It's a lovely thing to have. But if I ask you, you go, oh, um, yeah, I'm going to do Frizzell because he's in form, and then yeah, but I agree with you in the championship, but World Cup, I think it's about combinations. Yeah, and and look, I I, I like I totally agree because what I'm I'm looking at from a from a sense of is that I look at Scott Barrett. He's the he's the See, he's the really important piece of the puzzle for me because you just mentioned Whitelock and Retallick. and but but I would I would say to you that I think Scott Barrett has a higher work rate and is actually more important than either of those two players now, right? So it's the 
you know, I would see that and he go, what is the role of our locks going forward? At lock or six? No, at lock. At lock, Scott Barrett's a machine. He proved it last year. He is 100% well and truly good enough to be an international lock. But that's that combination you're talking about because I think he can well and truly do a job and have the impact that Shannon Frizzell has at blindside flanker. He's got the same engine. He's got probably hasn't quite hasn't quite got the ball carrying ability, but he's got a lot of subtleties. He's got plenty of physicality. He brings that um, uh, contact work. His tackle strong. And so, to your point, I get that. But I sit there and go, what is that that combination? How easily could you slot those guys in and out? Do you want to do that? And do we then lack versatility? I I tend to agree that. I would go on, let's pick the form players and we stay with them unless there's a reason not to stay with them. And that is... Uh, hang on, here's a question yep. for you. And I'm hoping they're recording this because you actually said before you agree with I me. agree with you, I do. Um, I do on this. I agree on combinations. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I just want to stop you there because for me, picking the form players is dangerous Right, because will you drop them when they drop out of form? So, for example, Sexton has a quiet game. No, they're not going to drop him. You know, Ken Healy, they're not going to drop him. You know, I think there's, I think there's a core backbone of this team where you've got to play them regardless. And there's a combination problem now that we need to go. Look, I'm just going to go with Geordie. Yeah, and Anton might be playing a bit better, but he's the style of player I want, and I'm just going to put him out there every week. That's unfair on Anton. It's unfair on. On David Haveli, and I see he's signed with the, with the New Zealand Rugby Union, which is amazing, you know. Um, but that's all I'm saying. If it's Anton and Rico, or whatever, I just think those things are really, really important. Now, do we have enough test matches to even worry about that now? How many we got left? Five before the World Cup? Yeah, you're right. We've only got five. And, 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 I look at, and I look at form, and that's why I believe that pretty much you and I if everyone's fit and healthy, we could probably write 26 to 30 names down of the guys over the last three years and through experience and what we know and their character and the impact they've had in the All Black jersey that they'll be there and, and part of it. And, and they will get selected. And then, then it would come down to form. But that form for me is, is not on Super Rugby form because Super Rugby is illustrating more and more to me, JK, that it's not international football. As if I don't think you can judge them. You can judge them on their condition and elements of their game, um, but it's not the international game. And so we're going to have some really interesting competition, you know. Because I would, I would say, three weeks into what we've experienced in Super Rugby, Sam Kane has been outstanding. He's been one of the leaders of, of the Chiefs. You can say the same thing about Dalton Popoli. Same thing for the Blues. Been really, really good. So you've got one guy who was the All Black captain with a huge number of test matches in behind him. And Dalton, who last year and the year before has proven, there's no doubt he can play at that level. So there's a fascinating conversation that need to be had there. Adi Savia has clearly established himself as the number eight for the All Blacks, so there's no debate about that. And then you've got a blindside flanker, that position. And it's, but once again, it comes back to, if you want Brody Retallick and Sam Weigel and Scott Barrett all on the field, then Scott Barrett's playing six. And I would then come back to you and go, holistically, the way that we're going to play the game then. If you just even talk about your combination, which I think is going to be Barrett, and it's going Geordie Barrett and um, Rico Iwani, and then there's a combination of loose forwards. We've got outside backs. We've got a way that we're going to play. Have we got the adaptability in our team to change our game, or do we have one game plan and we go for it? And in those five test matches, which we have, 
We'll play a variety of teams. We'll play Australia twice. We'll play Argentina and we'll play South Africa. And we'll end up playing South Africa again. All right? Are we here's, adaptable here's, enough? Here's, here's the X factor for me. The X factor for me, and look, um, Steve Hansen used to say it all the time, and I think we've gone away from this a wee bit. Like he used to put lots of pressure on the bench to come on and change the game. I think we've got a very, very special player in Damien McKenzie where we can have two types of game. Because like I said, when he plays for the Chiefs at 10, he plays like a rugby league standoff. He runs lateral. He has guys cutting off him. He'll change direction a bit like Sexton does, although Sexton's is is probably trained 350 million times. Damien does it naturally. And I think our bench is now really, really important. Let's talk about a, a position that you and I love. Uh, Sevu Reef, does he go or do we leave him at home? Or is he part of that bench where, you know, you've got a you've got a, a game of rugby going on and you need to completely change it up because the defence, you know, the, the opposition have got you covered. You imagine you bring on Sevu Reese. Um, you know, Damien McKenzie, um, put Geordie back to fullback, you know, just to come yeah, and yeah. making stuff up here. But the thing I like about it is it's a completely different look and style to play. Now, my problem is, like you said, for me, we've got to go, here's how we play, and then when the reserves come on, it's a whole different look. Not those guys blend into what we're doing, because I think we've found a very, very special um, impact in Damien McKenzie and who else are they? I mean, is it Frizzell? You know, do you, as some of our, you know, Whitelock goes off, Barrett goes to lock, you bring Frizzell on. So all of a sudden you've got this different look. And I think we should be trying to look at different ways to attack with those guys. Is it possible? I don't know, but it sort of excites me if it was. But if, if South Africa come through the front door and they go to their kicking game and the things that you're talking about, and we go, we've got someone who's better in the air. We've got, we need to beef up our forward pack. So all of a sudden, you're talking about maybe the consistency of that selection. You're going, so they bring her in a quarterfinal. Uh, they know exactly the DNA, the way they're going to play. And you go, well, we, we are still going to have to counter that in some way. Do the players, if we don't change the selection, have they got the adaptability to then counter and then attack what they'll be up against, the suffocation that, say, an England might bring or the pressure that France might bring through the middle of the park, particularly with their big ball runners. You know, they're, they're, I mean, that's crikey, they're, they're tight five and then they're loose forwards, the skill set that they bring. Can you look at the... Because if I look at about that champion side, that 2015 side, and who they went through to win their title, it was vastly different between semi-final and final. So Africa... It was an arm wrestle of war. The final was exactly how we wanted it to be. It was Australia, familiar foe. It was, it was a high-scoring affair, right? If I said to you, with this group, compared to that group, can you definitively go, you know what? Here's the team. Here's the side that can win both ways. And how confident are you in that? So th- there's a blueprint on how to beat us. That's the problem. No one ever had it until probably um, until probably Eddie Jones come up with it in the in the um, 
19. Know, the semi-final. 19, yeah. Yeah. 19. Well, this is a blueprint. And then I think people went away and said, if we want to beat the All Blacks, that's what we need to do. So the first thing I would do is I'd be sitting down as an All Black staff and going, okay, let's look at those. They're going to hurt, but let's have a real good look and see what happened. And, you know, and I haven't done this myself, but the pressure, and that's why I'm talking about combinations, the pressure that we got put under, I don't think we had the team out there that was used to playing under that sort of pressure so they could make a different decision, you know. We had, and this is really interesting to think about. So I agree about the discussion discussion you're having about Sam Kane. You know, I think right now he is really in form and so is Dalton Papali. So do we go, Sam can give us 60 and then, you know, we bring um, Dalton on. And if you're playing South Africa, you're not too worried about that because he's still going to have a similar sort of, similar sort of style. But remember Ben Smith and Sam Kane did not play in the last semi-final we lost, right? Um, and if I remember rightly, Kieran Reid did, uh, but he, he went from his wide game to a tight game. So when you look at that, in your face, get off the line, you know, the English probably weren't too worried about tackle quality, but they actually achieved their tackle quality on that day, and they suffocated us. What happened was I think we went back to being individuals because we hadn't had enough combination in our football team. Right. Whereas if you're under pressure and, you know, and I'll talk about the Barrett brothers because they played a lot in the backyard and Geordie's on the wing like he was in, you know, yep. a couple of years ago, you know, he's, he's, he, his brother's under pressure. He looks up and sees his other brother. He just kicks it across the, the, the third paddock with two cows in yep. it, right? Because yep. he's done it so much. Right. And that's, that's what I think we need to look at. What did they do that put us under pressure? And then what? Did, how did we react? And I think it's outside in defence, you know, really, really dominant, really, really nuggety breakdown and come up with a, with a game plan that's going to do that. I mean, I don't think you say that with – I don't think you say that with South Africa. South Africa just go out and do their shit, yeah. right? High ball, squish you, physical. We, we should know how to deal with that, and I think we did deal with it you know, when, when poor old Fozzie's job was on the line, you know, a week before we got pumped. Um, and then we go over there and we actually, yeah, we matched up and we fronted up and away you go. So then how much of this really this year, and you just mentioned uh, 19, right? And Ryan Crotty didn't play in that game either against England. So you, you and, uh, and that's the one thing, and I think that's what um, even Steve Hansen has said. I think he's admitted he didn't quite get the selection right in that semi-final. How much of this then do you believe for the All Blacks is actually going to be about selection, about getting the initial oh. selection right? That initial selection you're talking about and going, all right, I've got a choice to make between um, Sam Kane and Dalton Papali. I've got a choice to make uh, between um, Shannon Frizzell and Scott Barrett. I've got a choice to make at uh, tight head prop and loose head prop and, you know, they showed a little bit of courage last year. When the coaching changes were made, they introduced a couple of new guys in Fletcher Newell and Tyrell Lomax who are going to go in if they come back. When I say come back, Fletcher Newell's been ruled out in Super Rugby. He could be a risk now. Um, but if you look at Tyrell Lomax, you go, you've, you've taken some risk. There's a lack of experience. But reality is they're the very, very best options. And to your point, we now have to just roll with it, and we go, here it is. Here's our team. 
These are the guys. <laughs> Rich, the, and we haven't Make even talked about, now, we haven't even talked about one key position yet. And that's first. Make five. it. Make it now, man. Make it now. My 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 thoughts are World Cup year combination now. Make it now. Make it now. Because you, you can't tell me, and I'll keep going back to the 12s, right? Push comes the shove. Geordie, David Havili, Anton Lena Brown. Like, we're talking inches of, you know, little bits of difference. However, if you want to play with a 12 getting over the advantage line, running really hard, being really physical, if that's how we want to play, then it's Geordie now. So you make those decisions, right? And if you if you say to me, "Oh, what horses for courses?" I get that when you're playing Italy. I get that when you. But man, we're coming to semi-finals, finals, quarter-finals, semi-finals, and finals. That shit's over. You can do that in the pool because I'm thinking, you know, if I'm going to play, if I'm going to play, let's say I'm going to play Japan, right? Fast game plan. Yeah, okay. Maybe you don't play Scott at six. Maybe you play Frizzell. I'm making stuff up. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think we are talking about a different beast. And if you don't prepare for it, you don't win the World Cup. The greatest thing that the All Blacks ever did was not get rid of Hanson, Smith, and Henry. Um, Henry after they lost in 2007 because they had all that knowledge that won them in the 11 and probably 15. What happened after that's another discussion. So for me, it's about combinations and those combinations being able to work under pressure. So if you don't give them those opportunities pre the World Cup, we're in trouble, I think. Look, there's been a significant shift um, in the Southern Hemisphere in terms of rugby, in terms of super rugby in particular. We now don't play South Africa. Those South African sides are out of it. They've aligned themselves with the North. Um, we made the decision to break away. Well, Someone in particular at New Zealand Ray made the decision to move away, that it wasn't a, a uh, they didn't think it was uh, the future. We've now got Super Rugby Pacific, which is still growing. We get all that. The question I have for you now then is, is, is in terms of fit for purpose, in terms of developing our players, do we need something to replace that level of competition, that different level of competition which South Africa provided on a, I suppose, weekly basis for 12 to 14 to 16 weeks of Super Rugby. And how critical is that for us in terms of maybe getting back to where we were? Is it not critical? Can something else fill the void? It's not critical at all, it's man. Not? I think that, no, not at all. I think there's one thing more critical, and that's the retention of our players. We have 666 players overseas, right? Next year, we're losing Richie Moanga. Um, you know, we need to marry Japan. We need to create a Heineken Cup or whatever you want to call it. You know, you know, I've spoken about this to retain our players. So our biggest issue moving forward is not South Africa going north. It's actually us having our best players possible to play. Now, if we lose them in the championship, I think that's a bigger deal. But the Super Rugby, I get why they went north. They're trying to retain their own players, right? Um, they've got to go north for the money. So for us, I reckon if we if we go, we need we need a Heineken Cup with New Zealand, Australia, Pacifica, and Japan. Not Japan Sunwolves. That's a dumb idea. Japan Coca Cola, Japan Toyota, Japan NEC. I mean, you've got you know you've got Panasonic, you've got all these teams over there that have huge budgets. We need to bring them in so that we 
start creating a competition, and this is really, really important. I believe we need to carve Super Rugby off, and let's say, um, so the $90 million that Sky give the New Zealand Rugby Union, the New Zealand Rugby Union, I believe, needs to have the courage to go, here's 40 mil, take seven each, and good luck. Find your own sponsor, retain who you want with a salary cap. So if you want to hang on to Bowden, he gets $25 million, and everyone else gets $0.25, cents, I don't give a shit, right? But let them run by themselves. Let them have their own tournament and then bring – now, if you don't want to give them all that money, you go, okay, we, we will keep a little bit of control, but you can have the Heineken Cup as an, an add-on television deal, right? So you might say, we're going to do the Heineken Cup, and it's $40 million, and the super teams just split it. But we need to come up with some sort of financial model to retain our players because I don't believe what's happening now is working. Also, I believe that the players are starting to say, I need to look after my family and that sort of stuff, and I get that. Um, but, you know, so we're going to have players that are going to play for three years and then leave. So what you're saying is you, you want to elevate the competition, but basically you want to elevate the competition, whatever that competition might be, if you add depth to it, like you're saying, and you are bringing and, and keeping those players involved, I mean, there's talk of this club global club competition could be a possibility, but that may fill that type of void you're talking about, where you get that crossover. And and, and I, I know that'll be very complicated. I, I very much agree. But but I think after talking to a number of coaches, the one thing they're feeling as though that we're missing right now in Super Rugby is exactly what you're talking about: is the middle tier, is the depth tier, the tier below the top players who has got some experience, which has been to the the, the level has. Probably, um, you know, you're talking played 70, 80, 90, 100 games of Super Rugby. It's 27, 28 years old. Even younger players than that now know that they can get probably three to four, five times the contract money they're getting here like you're talking about. And, and that is significant. Yeah, I'm going to jump right in. I've got a massive question for you. I'm going to throw back at you what you threw at the Australians, right? So because of what you said, do we need to cut the Highlanders? Well, not if we can't. Well, well, I don't think we should cut the Highlanders. But there's no doubt. No, I'm they, serious. I'm serious, mate. Because yeah, no. What you're talking about, the Highlanders right now, I believe, are suffering from 660 players being overseas. You being able to offer that 25 to 30 player who's bloody good, right? Um, someone like our mate Joey Wheeler, all black, sort of fringe, bloody great player, should never leave. You know, like those guys win you competitions. James Parsons, guys like that, won all black. You know, like we can't afford to be losing those guys and we're losing them. So then you go to the Highlanders and you go, we're filling them with what? Yeah, well, I mean, and I was going to do this at some point. I have to, I have to give the Blues credit. I have to give the Blues credit because, and you made a mistake with a couple of players they needed to leave Auckland to go to a different environment, but they ended up being very successful down in Dunedin. Wasaki Naholo was one, and and uh, Malakai Fikatel, right? It was it was very much a case where you know they needed maybe a different challenge, but by the same token, if you look at the Blues right now, they've done a really really good job of of actually keeping their depth, of holding on to some critical and key guys who are sitting in behind who 
maybe in the past would have gone down and, and looked for an opportunity. The Crusaders have brought players into their environment. See, what the situation we have at the moment Where's is... Sullivan, mate? Where's O'Sullivan? He should be at the Holland. Zan Sullivan. Uh, well, he's on the bench this week, and this is the thing. He's just getting enough opportunity because of a wider decision by New Zealand rugby that all blacks have to rest. So all of a sudden, he knows that he's going to get opportunities during the course of the season. So he goes, am I better off being here or am I better off being down south? Now, if Bowden Barrett doesn't play for the Blues... Do we need to go back to, do we need to, go back to like when, when I got back where you could only pick 22 and everyone else went into the pool? Well, there's got to be some discussion around that because, to your point, there are players who maybe could be playing and starting at Super Rugby who are now not playing and waiting for their limited opportunities in certain places when, unfortunately, what's happening is is that depth, depth becomes so critical because there are key moments and seasons where you go, you know what, and if you're the Crusaders or the Blues, you've got how many All Blacks that you've got to cover for? So you've got to cover for them in a number of weeks. So so you have to then go, well, I can't afford to let these guys go. And, and nor should they. If their local players have been developed and they find the resources to do it, the Highlanders are at their moment, and I went back and looked at the Highlanders' campaign when they won in 2015, and there are a number of guys. Malakai Fikatawa was one. Um, Waisaki Nahola was another. The Hurricanes remembering left, uh, let Lima Sopawanga go. He went down there and played first five for them. So all of a sudden you had a midfield back, a, um, an outside back like Ben Smith with Aaron Smith, in key and critical positions, you were very, very strong. Very, very strong. And and if if you went and looked at it now, the question mark I would have is, are we actually strong in key and critical positions? And the Highlanders, I think, are the biggest reflection of the key and critical positions. Is the fact that all of a sudden, you know, um, Mitch Hunt, Freddie Burns, Marty Banks, um, there's you, you know, it's really hard to replace Ben Smith. Um, you know, trying to find that level of talent. The Hondas are always going to be that side. So how do you stop them being that side? You have to have more experience and better. Have they, have they done a bad job at their recruitment, mate? I, mean, I think the other I mean, teams have done a better job of protecting their talent. You know, I, I would say this. Some interesting decisions. There are two first fives at the Chiefs and Bryn Gatlin and Josh Uwani, who have both been at the Highlanders. You know, you go, it, was that a case where they made probably a poor decision to let those guys go? given where they're at right now. I mean, for, for us to say... Never, an interesting thing for me, when people used to go to the Highlanders, they sort of found their home and they never left. That's not happening anymore, is it? No, and, and, and but once again, I think, you know, the, the, the three, three teams have elevated their performance. If you think about it, they've elevated what they're doing both on and on. The Crusaders have set a standard for a long, a long time. They're, they're, they've been on their own island. The Blues in recent seasons have made critical decisions. They, they What did they win and do? They win and got one of the most influential people in the competition, they went and got Bowden Barrett. So the landscape changed for them. And what have the Chiefs done? Well, the Chiefs have done, I think, a really good rebuild um, in critical and key positions. And then they've added one piece to the puzzle back from Japan and Damian McKenzie, and the outlook of their group looks significantly better. You know, um, They've got depth. And, and so I commend them. And the, and the old one out here is the Hurricanes, you know, um, on the back of there's a thing I don't think the Hurricanes are a title contender but they've got enough in Artie Savia and Geordie Barrett to build a team around they've got some experience in a guy like Julian Savia um, they've got some 
for some. Yeah, I mean, the young guys need to step up, right? The yeah, young guys, yeah. Cam Roygaard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 they 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 have got enough there to build a team around, you know, in terms of yeah. world class players. Um, so I just look at this and go. The reason I ask you this, JK, is that are we are we in a significantly different place than we were? six years ago, if we look at a snapshot of our players and go, I feel as though we had more players I was confident in that could perform at the international level compared to we... Yeah, we, we I, often, I often talk to you about connection. I often talk to you about connection. Connection with the community. Connection with the club game. Connection between the past, the present and the future. Connection between pathways. So I personally, my biggest concern, and I don't know whether this is um, correct or not, my biggest concern is the draw card of Super Rugby um, and playing for the All Blacks, even if you've got to wait five years, is losing its sparkle to actually some players, I feel, are using our system because you've come through a system you know, a bit like Brazilian soccer player, you know. Brazilian soccer players go all around the world and play their trade, and some of them aren't as good as the locals, but they're Brazilian. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, so are we, you know, are our youngsters not thinking too hard about, okay, if I make the All Blacks, that's fine, but if I get to if I get to the Super Rugby, you know, I'm going to be able to get 300 grand a year Overseas and set my family and stuff up. So I think there's there's, there's a yeah. really interesting um, discussion to be had, and and I think the other thing is, what do we do with our NPC? Because I keep hearing, and this could be the Super Rugby coaches just saying it, but oh, the gap's huge now. So we're actually needing more time to prepare these kids that are coming through. They're getting younger, not as experienced. Yeah. Um, you know. So is that pathway something we need to look at? How are we how are we preparing our people for Super Rugby? I've always thought the competition was around the wrong way. Yeah, right? so playing Super Rugby first and then um, NPC second, which is a, around the wrong way. Um, we're now seeing the Super Rugby sides that are full, so there's no spots for those guys for NPC. So why would you stay and yeah. play? Yeah, you know, why would you stay and pay twenty five grand when you can go to Japan and? Um, you know, make five times that. So I think there's some structural stuff that needs some really decent com- conversation. I mean, I'm really worried about the Hollanders. You know, oh. the Hollanders never ever have been easy beats. They've always been, and maybe you're what you're saying is correct. It's a reflection now of you know that middle tier player that's just not here anymore. And I, I even go back a little bit, a step further, is that I watch what's coming into our. New Zealand under twenty program, which is not short on talent, but what they're everyone's getting elevated at a faster level now. They're getting elevated to the next level quicker and quicker. They're getting into Super Rugby squads at an earlier age, and so once they're in that squad, they have to be available for selection. The trouble is, you know, I'm not sure you're 100 percent sure you really want to put them out there. And I, I'm I'm concerned about that. And then you talk about the gaps you're talking about. I, I 100 percent believe the gap between Super Rugby. And international rugby has widened. It has widened to me. It is it is a significant step up. It is not the same game. It is not the same level of of constant physical intensity. And you can say it's physical, no doubt about it. There are plenty of collisions, and we've got a 
we've got a, a, an injury list right now to talk about that and, and says, yes, you know, at the moment there's, there's a few guys that are banged up, but I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's providing what it did in the past, which puts pressure on every coaching level. But I think that's that starts from bottom. That didn't, it didn't matter, mate. It didn't matter. It didn't matter because we were playing all in the same comp and we were going to the championship. But the only the only time it used to worry us is when we went northern hemisphere, right? So, you know, and I think that probably comes back to your discussion: is do we miss the South African sides? That's why, I because think- if they're playing a different style of football, then it'd be interesting. That World Club Championship that you've spoken about will maybe. Um, maybe help us understand who we're missing or maybe we're just homogenized. The other thing that I think is really, really important is I think our selection pool is now too narrow, yeah. right? So this whole academy stuff, you know I'm against the whole academy. So everyone who's in the academy then goes on to under-20s that then goes on, right? So if you think about the Auckland situation, you know, you've got that, you've got that many people, you've got 320 kids playing first 15, that gets narrowed down to 15 in an academy for the NPC, right? Then you've probably got 25 kids that go to um, Australia on league for rugby league, right? So how do we extend that out so that we're, we're not losing, you know, we're not losing 300 kids to the game at the end of every year? And I'm sure that happens, you know, not as sure it happens in Hawke's Bay, I'm sure it happens in Wellington where... You know, yeah. you're, you're narrowing these kids down when we should be trying to widen that net a wee yeah. bit more. So my last question, we've got four or five minutes to go. If I look at this Super Rugby campaign and, and there's matchups every weekend, for example, last weekend it was the Hurricanes playing the Blues. Uh, this weekend it's the Blues playing the Crusaders. What is it you want to see from our premier players, the guys that we know? Uh, pretty much you'd say if, if you're playing... If you're playing well enough, you'll get selected. But what is it you need to see? When you look at the big matchups, what is it you want to see out of, on our key guys? Well, I was – so I'll answer that twofold. I was looking for more innovation from, from people this year. I haven't seen it. I was looking for some – I was hoping the coaches would come up with some different stuff. I haven't seen it. So we are still in that. Um, you know, breakout, turnover, breakout, pod, you know, pod stuff. Yeah, individual stuff. Um, I want to see our All Blacks being the best out there, right? So I would expect the game, you know, Crusaders Blues to not be a slog fest. I would expect it to be a really high paced, intense game where the All Blacks are making the difference under pressure. That's what I'd like to see. Because I think it's that pressure thing that Super Rugby doesn't give you for World Cup, like the Six Nations does. So that's what I'd like to see. All Blacks making a difference under pressure and our game being a bit more expansive. So a little more creativity and dominant individual performances, clearly. And that's where I I totally agree when... If I'm seeing a 50, 60, 70 test all black up against an opposition which has got a guy who's never been to the international level, I expect them to be dominant. I expect them to be the figures that you can easily say, well, they, they won that matchup and their impact on the game. And if there's enough of those across the park, you should get a result if you get a collective effort. And that's, that's what my driving force is when I'm watching these games, J.K. 
Yeah, and there's just there's probably one more thing I'd like to see. I'd like to see someone like Roger Tuivasa-Shek just go, yeah, I, it is me. You know, he started well the season, got all the other shit, injuries, all that stuff out of him, and he just goes, actually, he was player of the day. They didn't take him off, player of the day, and so that we've got more options because I feel a bit sorry for Roger. You know, he came across COVID, all sorts of shit happened, and I'm starting to see him step up. So, you know... I don't want to be questioning whether he's good enough in three months' time. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying he's good enough because he's an outstanding rugby player. He's already made the All Blacks, so he's done a bloody good job, but actually starting to dominate, you know. And I want to see those matchups. I don't know if David Harvilli's actually playing. I think he's injured. He's injured, he? yeah. He's, uh, he's got a bit of a knock. So, you know, those All Black matchups where I'm, I'm, I'm here, mate, you know, like I'm, I'm going to show you that I'm going to take your position. And, and I agree entirely because now if he has – and they have a competitive advantage in a certain area, I want them to see and be able to, to use that and stick to that. And I'll make one thing, though. I still think if you talked about um, guys making an impact and making a change, Damien McKenzie has done that for the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are the one side that are doing some things different to other people on the back of his skill set, which I is the one I am I am watching intently because – we all would love to see him used in an all-black jersey. Exactly how that do, they do that, Sir John Kerwin, I don't know. And it's always a pleasure. 45 minutes just like that, talking about the game as usual. Yeah, one last thing, though. I, I Obviously, you've got to be really careful when you mandate stuff to the super sides because now they're resting all their all-blacks at the same time. It's not ideal. The, state is the, week, the Chiefs are going to do it this week, and I don't think that's fair on the fans. Yeah. You know, it's something we need to discuss. And, you know, I think we've all got a responsibility to our fan base. Absolutely. So maybe that's a breakdown conversation. That's certainly something that we will get onto on the show. Thanks, mate. Always appreciate your time. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy and the game, mate. Enjoy the game, brother. I'll be good. It's great tonight. Um, it's blowing a gale in Wellington. Absolutely. She's 120. There's white caps as I look out the window. So she's serious. All right, mate. All right. Pleasure. Thanks, buddy. See you tomorrow. Ciao.